but it's the billion dollar branch of the, the billionaire branch of the Flicks. And they today maintain a foundation in the name of Friedrich Flick, convicted in the Nuremberg trials for war crimes and crimes against humanity. And and they have they have not never said anything has anything about, you know, their their patriarch's past or their tainted fortune. My guest today is David DeJong. David is a journalist who covered European banking and finance for Bloomberg News. His latest book is Nazi Billionaires, The Dark History of Germany's Wealthiest Dynasties. In this landmark work of investigative journalism, David reveals the true story of how Germany's wealthiest business dynasties amassed untold money and power by abetting the atrocities of the Third Reich. I recently sat down with David, and we talked about how the brutal legacy of the dynasties that dominated Daimler-Benz, co-founded Allianz, and still control Porsche, Volkswagen, and BMW have remained hidden in plain sight until now. David, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really, really uh, was looking forward to it, especially after reading your book, which just was fantastic. Thank you, Charles. I'm so happy to be here, and I appreciate you having enjoyed the book so much. Yeah, sadly, I enjoyed it. That was a problem. Yeah, right. Okay. Right, exactly. Yeah. Folks, the name of the book is Nazi Billionaires, The Dark History of Germany's Wealthiest Dynasties. So, Dave, before we even begin, <clears throat> you you work for Bloomberg, right? You're one right. Of their, one yeah. Of their, okay, great. So, you're, you're working for Bloomberg. So, investigative yeah. reporting is something that Bloomberg people do extremely well. Why did you pick this topic of trying to uncover uh, Nazi billionaires and how the wealth that was stolen uh, off, the, off the backs of, of, of slave labor, off, off, of, off of murder, is still around today? What drove you to come up with this book? I feel kind of that the topic picked me. Um, when, I started, when, when I started working at, at, at Bloomberg about a decade ago, uh, I started working for this team which covered hidden fortunes and 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 well, hidden wealth and, and and billionaire fortunes. And even though I'm Dutch, I was I was hired as one of the America reporters. But because I'm Dutch, very soon, so I started in New York ten years ago, and very soon they asked me if I wanted to cover the German-speaking countries. <clears throat> and. And that's when I discovered how many of today's of, of Germany's leading families, the family that controlled BMW, Porsche, Audi, you know, used to control Daimler, but also brands like Mini, Rolls-Royce, uh, Lamborghini, Bentley, you name it, almost everyone of the, of the non-American car brands or, and, and non-Asian ones, that they had all this you know, they, they had these horrific histories, or the patriarchs did during the during the Nazi era, that they were not being transparent about today. And you say, and you say I wrote these stories. You, yeah. you say transparent. What do you mean by that? That they had all this wealth, and they never disclosed well, where they, they got it yeah. from. Well, that they that they maintain all these global foundations today in the name of of you know the savior of BMW or the or the mm -hmm. first man who designed the the um, uh, who, who 
constructed the first Porsche car and that they were only celebrating his business successes, but they, they didn't say, you know, he maintained the concentration camp in, 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 or he, he built and dismantled the concentration camp in 1944. I think people should, you know, could learn most from history by being transparent about it. Um, you know, you learn, you learn from, from, from the good and the bad, and that's not what they do. So, they just show the good. So this, you, you were shining a light. I don't think there's a book like this out there or close to it. There are a couple of close to it, but I don't think there's one that, um, that went into the kind of research that you did. You speak and read German. So you had to go through tons of documents to find some of this, right? Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, no, I spent four years in Berlin uh, researching and, and writing. I, you know, I, I left New York uh, to, to move to Berlin and to research and write this book. And you were mentioning to me on a, on a, when we spoke earlier that uh, your grandmother, I believe it was, or your grandfather was uh, in the Holocaust in Denmark. Uh, uh, mm. No, so so my grandma, my grandparents. Uh, from my father's side were Jewish and they were in the Netherlands and my grandmother was Swiss and she fled with my aunt to, uh, and together with an, uh, another companion to the French Swiss border uh, where they were arrested during the war, where they were arrested by a Gestapo officer. And they, he took pity on my, my, my grandmother and my aunt and uh, left, you know, uh, let them, you know, let them go. But their companion was was deported to Sobibor and, and murdered in in a extermination camp. And my grandfather, he hid in Amsterdam for three and a half years after the Nazis uh, occupied um, uh, his his textile factories at the Dutch German border. Um, and for my for my mother's side. Uh, the you know the the the, the Christians or the non-Jewish mm-hmm. side, they you know my grandfather was tried to sail to England in 1941 to join the join the Royal Air Force together with his best friend and second time their their boat uh, their sailboat blew back to shore and um, they were arrested by German soldiers and they were convicted as political prisoners and they were spent you know convicted to two years. Uh, doing slave labor, or doing forced labor, um, in um, in Germany, and you know, my my grandfather was six foot seven, and when he came out, he weighed ninety pounds. Wow, wow. So, so, so when so when I was asked also at Bloomberg to to cover this, you know, a decade ago, I was very reluctant. I was kind of reluctant because you know, as a native Dutchman, you know, I'm probably the last of my generation, which has this kind of antagonism which had this antagonism against the Germans, you know, because of my grandparents surviving the war. And luckily all four of them survived, you know, it's a miracle that I'm here today. And um, yeah, but, but it was a playful antagonism, you know? So, so, and my grandfather would always quip. He said, you know, don't take the Germans too seriously because they take themselves so seriously. But I came to take them very serious once I started diving into this, to this subject. Okay, so let, let's let's put everything in, in a bigger perspective. During uh, the Third Reich, 1933 to 1945, many of Germany's industrialists were partners 
with the Third Reich. You had a government that was supplying you yeah. free labor. They were making enormous amounts of money. And the Nazis also implemented the Aryanization of businesses. Could you just speak to that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so what, what happened once Hitler seized power in, in 1933, you know, the anti-Semitic laws became, became codified. And especially in 1935, with the implementation of the Nuremberg race laws, you know, Jews incrementally, these decrees were issued that Jews in Germany and later in Nazi occupied territories could no longer own businesses, could no longer earn a livelihood. Um, their assets were taken from them step by step. First, it was their business. Then it was their homes, and it was their lands, and it was jewelry, then it was art, et cetera, et cetera. So they were, you know, both by the government that was in <clears> power <throat> and the bureaucrats that 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 you know exerted these laws, as well as businessmen willing, and and most were willing to coerce or forcibly take over. You know the, the the livelihood of of, of Jewish owned uh, Jewish Jewish business owners. Okay, so the Aryanization uh, of a of a business is if there was a yeah. Jewish business, yeah, you yeah. Ha- and you own the Jewish business, and you were a yeah. Jewish businessman, and you own this yeah. business. You know how yeah. to do what? Well, so Aryanization is kind of removing the as they you know is removing the Jewish element of an asset as it as it's you know is the horrific kind of definition of it. So whether there was a business or or land or a house, you know, it was removing the element of, of, of Jewish ownership from that asset, right? What they what they did was basically well they had to get out of the I mean, as the repression was growing, you know, people people had to leave the country people when they before they started stripping the their German citizenship away, you know, people were trying to desperately get out. You know, they, they had to sell their businesses or they were for, forced out. So what happened mostly, and this, of course, you know, they said to have the veneer of a normal business transaction, right? But people would say, you know, if, 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 if the nominal value of, of somebody's shares were, were 3,000 Reichsmark, they say we'll give it we'll give it to you for the nominal value, but not for the market value because you're not you're not going to get it anywhere. Right, nominal you know, value being not, extremely extremely low. Exactly, extremely low, extremely low. So we'll buy you out at at, at what you at what you bought it at, at pennies on the dollar. Pennies, on, pennies the dollar. on the dollar, exactly, exactly. So now you had a lot of industrialists. We'll go through a couple of uh, big families now yeah. that their fortunes are still out in the open or hiding in plain sight. Uh, that your right. book is shedding light on, that took advantage of this by taking over Jewish businesses after the war. I think it was 1960 when they had compensation back. Uh, the um, uh, the Jewish Council uh, they did not pay or really just uh, dragged their feet, held them up in court, and never compensated yeah. the original Jewish owners. And that was one aspect. And the other aspect is the. Uh, concentration camp labor, the slave labor, the uh, um, the workforce that the Nazis supplied, and the industrialists being w- fully not only aware but in partnership with. 
Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the entire Nazi Germany's entire economy was retooled into a war economy. And once, mm. once Germany invaded Poland in 1939 and all, and then this is especially ramped up once Germany invades the Soviet Union in 1941, you know, all the, all the German men are enlisted and they or of able body and you know you have millions of millions of, of people who were rounded up across nazi occupied europe and who were deported to to germany for 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 to 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 be used as forced and slave labor right so let's let's take a step back to the beginning because yeah. what your book shed light on which i never read anywhere else of hitler's rise and the way the nazis the Nazi Party, National Socialist Party, needed money in the beginning because they're virtually yeah. bankrupt. And yes. Goebbels, uh, propaganda man who became the second most powerful person under Hitler in uh, Nazi Germany, uh, was living off his wife's money, and they had no yeah. money. So uh, I think it was thirty-one or thirty-two. I don't remember the exact year. Uh, the Nazi uh, Goebbels and uh, start putting people, uh, industrialists, in front of Hitler to raise money. Could you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in 1931, so in 1930, you have, you have the first time that the Hitler really, that, that the Nazi party really has a massive elect, electoral success. Um, but Hitler doesn't have any ties to businessmen. Like he does, there's, there's no, because most businessmen at that point are completely weary of Hitler. You know, they want, you know, they want establishment. They want just your regular conservatives, in power. Um, and they start, so he, he, he asks his economic advisor, you know, what, 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 what shall we do? And, and, and they start inviting businessmen to Berlin, to, to this hotel, uh, where he started, where Hitler starts courting them. Um, with mixed results still at this point. No, no, wait, let's just put one thing in context, right? Yeah. We're, we're dealing yeah. with yeah. Uh, 1929, the Depression. Yeah, exactly. It destroyed. Totally. And these rich German industrialists who I didn't believe the, uh, I didn't realize the cross ownership of so many of industries yeah. within just a few yeah. people's hands, they yeah. wanted, uh, they were looking for someone who was uh, going to keep the communist out, uh, keep the, get the economy back on its feet. Yeah. And to preserve yeah. their enormous amounts of wealth. Yeah, and of course they were completely rattled by 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 you know by October nineteen twenty nine by uh, by uh, uh, Black Tuesday and and the wiping out of much of their wealth. You know, I mean, a lot of it was tied up in the American, you know, in the U.S. bonds and 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 the U.S. stock market as well as as in Germany. Um, but it was they were mostly rattled by the fact that 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 Germany at the time was a volatile place, that the communists and the socialists were vying. They wanted stability. They and you know they first saw the Nazis as kind of these garish, boorish people from the German hinterlands. You know who they laughed about like uniformed uniformed curiosities. But as soon as Hitler is put into is, is seizes power, you know the attitude changes. Um, and the meeting you're, you're, you're referring to is three weeks after Hitler, um, 
seizes power, you know, all the industrial or 24 of Germany's, you know, most powerful industrialists, financiers, executives are invited to the residence in, of the parliamentary president of Hermann Göring. Um, and, you know, they're, they're on the invite, it says you're going to be, you know, you're going to be, Hitler's going to explain his economic policies. But in fact, they're invited there to basically pony up uh, to pay into a presidential elect or a parliamentary election slush fund. Uh, and Hitler promises them that the, the election of March 5th, 1933, will be the last election held in the next 100 years in Germany. That by the time that election happens, you know the the the, the parliament has 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 been has been the, the famous Reichstag fire has happened, so the the elections are a sham, and and a few weeks later Hitler consolidates his power and and uh, becomes the Führer. Okay, so now just touch on some of the industrialists of brand names that we know today, the patriarchs, sure. the, the founders of these sure. families, that are not only there, but throw their full support to the Nazi party. And after the war, many of them disavowed what they said, but they actually said uh, that they were 100% committed to the party and everything the Nazis were doing. So just give us a couple of names and brands that we would know. Sure. So it's the main family is, 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 is the Quant dynasty of which two members today control, have near majority control over BMW and their patriarch, Günter Quant, who was married, actually, his, his second marriage was to Magda Goebbels, who, who led, the woman who later became Magda Goebbels. Then there's the Flick, the Flicks, who today only run their private wealth, but their, their patriarch, who was convicted at Nuremberg, also ended up after the war. During the, during the Third Reich, he, owned, he, he controlled Germany's largest steel, uh, steel coal and, uh, and weapons conglomerate, privately held. He got convicted in Nuremberg. His sentence was commuted by uh, by by the U.S. He gets out, and within a decade, he's the controlling shareholder of Daimler Benz. And as the von Fink family, the, the Mercedes Benz, right? Mercedes exactly. Benz. Yeah, yeah. Daimler Benz was the was the whole was the, the company that produced Mercedes. It's now called Daimler, but by the time it was renamed Daimler, mm -hmm. they didn't control it anymore. Third leader is a von Fink family, which is an aristocratic family, which co-founded Allianz and Munich Re, which are two of the largest insurers and, and, and reinsurers in the world today. And they also own this private bank called Merck Fink. Uh, so the fourth family is the Porsche Piech family, which today controls the Volkswagen Group, which is the lar largest car company in the world. And they control brands such as Porsche, Volkswagen, Audi, Bentley, Lamborghini, and they're actually preparing to do a huge IPO. Um, they're going to spin off Porsche from the Volkswagen Group and list it separately. It's going to be one of the biggest IPOs of 2022. And their patriarchs, well, Ferdinand Porsche, which is quite a well-known story, developed the Volkswagen, you know, basically pitched to Hitler to develop the Volkswagen, the people's car, and then the Volkswagen actually barely gets constructed, but instead the Volkswagen factory that he leads together with his son-in-law, uh, you know, becomes a place where mass weapon, where, you know, you have mass weapons production and tens of thousands of forces slave laborers are used. Okay, so now uh, the uh, patriarch of BMW, 
Daimler-Benz, Allianz, uh, uh, Munich Re, uh, Audi, uh, Porsche, which has all the other brands. Yeah. Your book is not telling us anything new in the sense that we knew that these patriarchs had Nazi ties, right? This is 1950s. It was right. pretty known. But what you bring to light is that these companies are, I wouldn't say whitewashing. How would you describe what they're doing to that? I, you know, I would say partly, yeah, I, I would partly say whitewashing. Well, in a sense, they're leaving out part of the history, okay. you know, and I think, you know, I'm in favor of radical transparency because people learn from history by being radically transparent. I'm not personally, I'm not in favor of renaming. I think that's a political correct way of, of whitewashing on personally, but you know, I think people should, you know, you learn from history by saying somebody was successful in business. Okay, sure. But part of his business success was, you know, acquiring companies uh, uh, stolen from Jews, was, you know, maintaining, was building, uh, was planning, build, uh, constructing and, and dismantling a, a sub-concentration camp in Nazi-occupied Poland by overseeing a factory with, among other people, 500 female slave laborers from concentration camps. I think that's a way, and not whitewash it through global foundations, because I do think if you're, I mean, today you have the Herbert Quant BMW Foundation, which has inspired responsible leadership. And the only reason that it inspires responsible leadership is because he saved BMW from bankruptcy in 1959. You know, and that is, and that to me is perverse. You know, if you really want to inspire responsible leadership, you said, well, he, he saved BMW from bankruptcy in 1959, but he also committed war crimes during the Third Reich, and he was a Nazi party member. And so many of these, even though many of these patriarch uh, families, uh, even the families rather, are the patriarchs died in the 70s and 80s, right, mostly. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. died out. And, and by the way, you, you know, which is, which is just, uh, just shocking when I'm reading this, uh, back in the uh, 80s, uh, you had some uh, founders, four founders, where I have it somewhere here, that uh, were um, all members of uh, the Nazi Party and SS and, and Waffen, uh, SS officers, all becoming billionaires. Uh, by 1970, this is not this is ancient history. Frederick Flick, um, August von Fink, Herbert Quant, uh, Rudolf August uh, Otiker, Otiker, made up West Germany's top four wealthiest businessmen in descending order, and all were former members of the Nazi party and profiteers, and one of them was a voluntary Waffen SS officer, and they all become billionaires. Yeah. So this is, you're talking 35 years after the end of the war. Uh, uh, 20, yes, 20, 25, 25 years. 25, 25 years after the end of the years. war. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. there it is, but even further, you keep going on, where the banking industry, um, uh, head of Deutsche Bank at the time, was it was it the Deutsche was the Deutsche Bank? You had so many great names in here. Uh, was a Nazi also? Was it Deutsche Bank? I mean, yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah, the former chairman of of of, of uh, the the chairman of Deutsche Bank at the time. I don't think he ever became a member of the Nazi Party, but he was called like the linchpin of plunder. Yes, during the Third Reich, and he ends up becoming West Germany's most powerful financier. It's also there's also if if you've read. David Enrich's Dark Towers. Uh, it's he's also referenced in there. His name is Her Herman Joseph Ups, and Ups, and right. he he distances himself, but he becomes 
he becomes omnipresent. Well, he was omnipresent in Third Reich, but he becomes far more powerful in West Germany. And he works together with the Quants and the Flicks. He's a supervisory board chairman of, well, he's, he's the chairman of Deutsche Bank. He, he runs Deutsche Bank for many, many decades. And he, you know, he's on the board of BMW, of Daimler-Benz. He was basically on 30 or 40 boards. And he is really the most powerful man in uh, together with, with with the Flicks and the Quants in, in post, uh, post-war post Germany. And, and, and Herbert- well, up until, I would say up until the late 80s. You know, up until the re- German reunification, you know, so for like 45 years. Okay. So now my question to you is, these patriarchs are gone. Uh, the businesses still stand, but the families are, in many cases, not even uh, not even involved. Or maybe they're, they have some shares, but not controlling shareholders. Uh, well, in some cases, right? Some cases they've taken their money right. and left it. But it's not the same people, or it's their grandchildren or their children. Uh, right, exactly. Okay. So my question to you was this. What is your reason for shining a light on these people and their fortunes and these companies if the war was 75 years ago, 77 years ago, uh, not the same people still around anymore? Let bygones be bygones. Because you see many examples that I provide that they're still covering it up. That's that's what that's what wrote me to that that's what pushed me to write this book, is to is 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 to shine a light on this history. You know, many of these stories are known in Germany, but they're not known to a global audience. And if a global audience finds out that uh, that uh, we see with we, you know we see with this Me Too movement in the past couple of years, right. calling out people for. Uh, sexual right. innuendos that they did when they were 17 and now they're 72, you know, with those kind of right. things. Not right or wrong. It's just, you know, different parts of people's lives. But put the, be that as it may, uh, what do you think the repercussions will be if these are found out uh, through your book and the companies are pressed to answer for this? What do you think is going to happen? Is there going to be a, is there going to be um of um, um, uh, forcing, uh, you know, something on social media. Don't do business with Daimler. Don't. Uh... No, no, I, no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue for a boycott. No, you know, biz. You no, know, I would. I would. I'm arguing for transparency. Is acknowledge, be transparent. Say that Ferry Porsche, you know, applied to DSS in 1938, was voluntarily admitted in 1941 as an SS officer, surrounded himself in the 1950s and 60s. With high-ranking SS officers, some who were commuted, to, some who were, you know, sentenced to death, and whose sentences were commuted, and in the 1970s, in the late 1970s, in his first autobiography, Ferry Porsche spews virulently anti-Semitic, uh, you know, vitriol about his Jewish co-founder Adolf Rosenberger, and who was pushed out of the, who was bought out of the company at nominal value of his shares, and then was erased in Porsche company history. Today, there's a Ferry Porsche Foundation, you know, which is which is financing shares of corporate history in Germany. And there's no, there's nothing about Ferry Porsche. You know, it's the only thing it says. Oh yeah, Ferry Porsche invented the first Porsche car, Porsche car. But if you're going to finance, you know, shares in corporate history anywhere in the world, but particularly in Germany. You should be transparent on your website that 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 he was an SS officer, that he that he was voluntarily applied to the SS, that he surrounded himself with SS men in the 1950s and 60s, and that he also 
um, you know, said the most horrific anti-Semitic things about the Porsche co-founder who was erased from, from company history. That's what I'm arguing for. Have you approached these companies? I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, of course I did. I've had elaborate back and forth with, 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 with particularly with Porsche. And yeah. what, did they, what did they respond to what you just said? Well, they, 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 they dodge, you know, they say, well, you know, the only, the only reason that the only explanation that Ferrari Porsche said these anti-Semitic things about for Porsche's co-founder was because he was angry about a business conflict that, that emerged after, after World War II. So they whitewash it, right? They may, they just uh, go over it and uh, whitewash it. Nothing really, you know, just try to smooth it out as best they can. And then they move it on. Is that more or less what they're doing to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think I think BMW and Porsche are the most blatant examples of this because they have global global foundations that they're you know doing global philanthropy in in the name of good in a man in the name of men who who did evil and not being transparent about the evil. I'm not saying rename it because, as I said before, I think renaming is a is a political correct form of of, of whitewashing in in and of itself. I said, be transparent about it. That's when people learn from history. Mm -hmm. So, so when, when, what I found so interesting in your book is like Quant, for example, even when they had an opportunity to make good, for example, I think it was the uh, Jewish Council uh, for uh, Compensation of some sorts. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is yeah. It, in 1960. Yeah. Not only did he not write a check, but it, he, he had lawyers uh, uh, defend him. Uh, he he stalled, and these are people whose livelihoods, businesses, fortunes were taken away by a stroke of a pen and appropriated to him. Indeed, yeah. I mean, they the companies, and he was Friedrich Flick was the, the, the then the controlling shareholder of BMW of, of Daimler Benz. You know, was the, perhaps the large, no, the largest private profiteer in in the Third Reich of Aryanizations, took over massive uh, brown coal assets in in Germany, um, and he litigated it for fifteen years, and actually ended up getting compensated by the German government uh, um, uh, for the assets that he gave up in an asset swap. With, uh, in order to Aryanize uh, one of these companies. I mean, you, you just can't make it up. That's adding, uh, you know, injury to, uh, insult into injury. Yes. It's, 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 it was uh, yeah. staggering that he's compensated for, for stealing. Yeah. <laughs> not stealing, yes. you know, not getting compensated yeah. for stealing, yeah. or he was stealing another yeah. company, but wasn't, uh, just uh, amazing. I remember reading uh, somewhere that um, when the one, of the, one of the ways of uh, coming up with valuations is that the goodwill of a business and the shares would not, were discounted to zero. So uh, that's like buying uh, Coca-Cola's business now and taking their 40 or 50, I don't know how much they have in their books of goodwill and erasing it to zero. So you're yeah. basically buying a, you know, a yeah. carbonated water with syrup, you know, <laughs> all the, yeah. so there was, there was, this was unfair. This was uh, unjust. There is no veneer of, of, of justice in any of this. Absolutely not. No. And I mean, the, what they also did, another practice they did was that the the Nazi government or or the, the Nazi Ministry of Finance would would you know make up random kind of back taxes and they would go as high as like a quarter billion Reichsmark in order to uh, able to say we're going to take your business because you know you have 
you know, 300 million in back taxes, which were just completely you know, fabricated. When I was reading that, I, I you could have been writing it about uh, Putin, Putin right now, what yeah. he did with a lot of these companies, uh, a Browder's book, a Red Notice, yeah, where he, yeah. marked, where he just book. destroyed... Um, he, came, he just, I believe, he just came out with another yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, he came out last week with a, with a sequel. Exactly. Yeah, and um, uh, how uh, his lawyer was killed in prison. Uh, yes. They, they, Sorry, they, Sergei Magnitsky. Yeah, yeah, and we have the Magnitsky uh, um, Amendment uh, in the U.S. Exactly. In the yeah. US because of that. So, so, yeah. so here you have a situation where uh, history doesn't repeat itself exactly, but it sure as heck rhymes. It does. What happened, you know, with the Russian oligarchs, of course, they consolidated, they started, you know, in the wild west of, 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 of Russia of the 1990s. They got, in, in, they got this in, in this cash for shares uh, uh, exchange. Um, they ended up getting stakes in some of Russia's, you know, largest uh, companies. And they consolidated this power under when Putin seized power from Yeltsin in 2000. By gay, by doing this devil's pact, by this devil's bargain with Putin, where they say, "Well, you're basically holding part of these assets in my name, or you're basically my straw man, and you can, you know, you can present a face of Russia to the outside world. You know, you can buy soft power, buy Chelsea soccer club, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and you know, uh, you you can you can enjoy your wealth, you can enjoy your riches as long as you remain loyal to me." And anytime you weren't loyal to Putin, uh, exactly, you all of a sudden you woke up one morning and you were arrested for yeah. back taxes that, uh, or yeah. fraud or uh, embezzlement, uh, all of yeah. these charges that were fabricated yeah. in order to get back. But I think the main difference here, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, is that uh, uh, Germany uh, had private businesses where the Soviet Union it was a state, so there they were stealing exactly. from the state. Right. Here they were destroying people's lives and everything they've built. And uh, many Jewish families over centuries have built humongous businesses, right. which were stolen. And uh, what happened yeah. to them is, is, is in many cases they were killed or uh, they were murdered or or they left the country, uh, but their wealth was disappeared. I give I give one example in the book of the of the von Fink family, the one that co-founded Allianz and Munich Re, where the patriarch uh, builds is asked by Hitler. Uh, to uh, fundraise for a museum, a pet project that he has in Munich. He does that. He, he fundraises about 20 million from his fellow industrialists and, and financiers. And as a thank you, he gets to Aryanize two private banks. One of them in Vienna, which is the Rothschild, the brand, branch of the, of the Austrian Rothschild uh, family. Um, and, you know, he, 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 it's, he Aryanizes it. And it's never reconstituted. It's it's never reconstituted. You know, the heirs flee, end up fleeing to the U.S. Um, and it's you know there is no Austrian Rothschild branch anymore. Right, right. So, how was Germany dealing with their past in terms? Well, let me ask. Let me rephrase. When this book builds up traction, and uh, gets out there, and just for our listeners, we're recording this a short time before the book is going to be on sale. So uh, we don't know what the impact would be from this book, but, uh, but I'm sure there's going to be press releases in corporate offices throughout Germany <laughs> uh, responding to this, and hopefully in some way, and hopefully maybe coming to some resolution. But how is Germany uh, 
dealing with this, uh, the German government, the German people, who have seen this up close and personal for the past 20 to 30 years? I think, you know, Germany did not reckon with any of it until the late 1960s, early, or didn't start the reckoning process until the late 1960s, early 1970s. And I would say overall, Germany has done, I mean, they're never going to be able to to live it down, but 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 they, you know, they've done a good job, I would say, for most aspects of society to to reckon with it, to be to have a good remembrance culture, to to be, you know, reflective of the crimes that 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 their fathers and or that their, you know, that their fathers, grandfathers, and whomever or sympathies they have, may have had. You know, and 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 the murder of their fellow uh, of their fellow people, and, and and many other Europeans. But 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 to me, these business ex- families are the are, in many many of them, or many of the examples that I provide, are the exception. It is, of course, also because, you know, these heirs, these current day these current day heirs, they have. You know, they have inherited everything. It's not that they build anything up. So it's their fathers and grandfathers who build up their entire fortune. So their entire identity is, of course, is there. Who are they? With they're completely in the shadow of their of their fathers and grandfathers. Who are they without them? Because they did not create any of it. Furthermore, you know, they have billion dollar brands and fortunes that are on the line that need to be protected at all costs. So the reckoning that ends up happening. It's not with the victims of their crimes or their heirs. It is, you know, with their fellow Germans who, you know, again, were not were, were not the victims. You know, these, these these stories thus far have been contained to Germany, as and as has been the reckoning. Yeah. Um, in the end of the book, the epilogue, you have the museum, yeah. and you talk about how you flew to Tel Aviv to visit. Um, your German girlfriend for a week. Could you just yeah. share share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, we've we've moved now to, or we've, I'm about to move to Tel Aviv, but my my partner, who is German, um, moved there already in in uh, uh, last year. Um, I flew there, and you know, I went into. It was actually a friend of a friend of mine from New York, Max Abelson, who recommended me to to go to the Tel Aviv Museum of Art. And, you know, it was, you know, I just spent years researching this, this subject. And it was, and then you suddenly see this plaque with the German friends of the Tel Aviv Museum of Art. And two of the main family, the two of the main families, two as the main families are on are on the plaque of this, uh, of this museum. Which, in Israel, which are the I mean, which are the Quan family, right? Which are the Quans and the, which are the Quans and the Flicks? It's the it's not the branch of the Quans that controls BMW. It's the branch of the Quans that 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 stems from Magda Goebbels, whose grandmother was Magda Goebbels. Um, but it is, and they've actually done a reasonable good job at at, at reckoning, uh, as opposed to their BMW cousins. But it's the billion dollar branch of the the billionaire branch of the Flicks. And they today maintain a foundation in the name of Friedrich Flick, convicted in the Nuremberg trials for war crimes and crimes against humanity. And 
and they have they have not never said anything has anything about you know their their patriarch's past or their tainted fortune. Furthermore, you have now the Friedrich. You have a foundation named after a convicted Nazi war criminal sitting on the on the on the foundation board of one of Germany's most prestigious universities. So you're, you're right, you uh, Friedrich Karl, who like his father refused to ever pay compensation to any of the yeah. tens of thousands of people used as forced labor or slave labor at flick factories and mines. Thousands died there, many of them Jews brought in from concentration camps. Friedrich Karl took his billions and fled to Austria, leaving the family's ghosts for his niece and nephews to publicly reckon with. Yeah. Yeah. And his and Friedrich Karl's widow Ingrid today, chairwoman of the uh, of the um, Friedrich Flick Foundation, has never uttered any. There's never been one public word about any of it. So she's continuing. Has never paid compensation either. So she's just continuing the line of her father-in-law and her late husband. Yeah, no, you're you're right here. That when you saw the um, these German names, these German families, is spelt in Hebrew. Uh, the word you used in German was. Uh, Unheimlich? Yeah, exactly. Unheimlich. Very, very good. Eerie. Yeah. Eerie. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's interesting how Israel has dealt with this back in the 1950s when uh, West Germany was uh, going to pay compensation, how then uh, a member of Knesset, uh, Menachem Begin, uh, right. almost brought down the government. There was almost a civil war in Israel when Ben Gurion was being very practical, who's the prime minister, right. and says, we need that money. We need those reparations. And Begin said, how much you're going to give me for for a Jewish life? My my father, my mother, right. uh, my family was killed. How much is their blood worth? Yeah, and uh, they were looking yeah. very practically. Ben Gurion and his party, and Begin uh, said no, but Israel had to do uh, the pragmatic thing at the time. And 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 look, Germany has been a very uh, strong supporter and friend of Israel uh, since its founding. Yeah, since its founding. Yeah, so absolutely. So so do you think? Do you think when this? Uh, when when this gains more traction, hopefully, that we're we might see uh, a change in attitude among these heirs of these billionaires, fess, not fessing up, but trying to uh, come to terms with or come to grips with their their terrible past by creating foundations, charities, or at at the minimum, we're just looking for acknowledgement. I mean, there is. You know, there's a modicum of acknowledgement in in some of these families, actually in very few, but 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 even that, you know, it's it's it, it has to be like an honest coming to terms with past with the past, not one that protects business, not one that protects their own business interests, but an honest one, and one that is transparent, or one that you know, I'm not again, as I said, renaming is is not the way to go, you know, transparency is the way to go. Yeah. And you you instruct you instruct people that you learn you let people learn about history, you know, and that's you know that's the way one should do it. Yeah, well, I, I really uh, hope that you uh, you hit half your goals uh, because uh, this is a cold splash in the face of a cold splash of water in the face for many of these. Because I think at the beginning of the book you talk about one of the. Uh, the heirs, I think, if it's the Quan family, was it the Quan family at the beginning, the young girl, 
Uh, no, Baalzen. It's a very, it's a famous cookie. It's a very famous cookie oh. uh, dynasty in in, yeah. in, uh, in Germany. Yeah. How I would I would say flippant, but it wasn't. You know, very. Yeah, it was flippant. Okay, I'll say flippant. Definitely. It was very yeah, flippant definitely. as to, you know, definitely. piss off. <laughs> it was yeah. like, and she's a young. Well, she was young. I think 30, 20s, whatever it might be. Yeah, she's now thirty. Yeah, now thirty, and it was like, uh, I, I think, and it, it just correct me if I'm wrong. Is you want to you want to change those attitudes, right? Yeah, I do. I want I want people. I mean, listen. I want people who have the most to say. We have power and influence, you know, to have a reflection on this when it, in Germany, because you know they have, you know, I want, I want to see their businesses flourish. I want to see them all doing great. The next generation, my generation. But I want them to be reflective on the topic, and I want them to to know about the topic. I want I don't want it to be swept under uh, under the rug, right? Which they've been doing the past seventy five years pretty successfully. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, David, outstanding work. I I just can't, you know when I started Thank reading you. this, uh, I said to myself, my gosh, I, I don't know because this is not all put together in a folio for you. You had to probably dig uh, in records and just the way uh, the the corporate structure is in many of these German companies with directors on boards. I think a lot of that's illegal in the United States. That's easy, but uh, sitting on 14 different boards, controlling uh, through different companies. I, I don't, I, I, all my hats off to you on, on how you uh, dug through tons of, 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 uh, of, of, of paper documents to figure out this whole type of labyrinth of, uh, of corporate structure, which is, uh, is, a, is a monument, is, is really amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. I appreciate it. Yeah, it took me four years, you know, it was really four, four, year, four years. I mean, I, I left Bloomberg to, to write this book and, and uh, I, you know, I dedicated four years uh, of my life uh, to it. And I did it every day, you know, with, with, with joy, because I, I mean, not with joy, because joy is not the right word, but I did it every day. Determination. I felt invigorated. Yeah. I, I feel, yeah, determination. Exactly. I felt invigorated every day to do it, you know, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm delighted to, to, to show it to the world. Yeah, outstanding. Uh, the name of the book, folks, is Nazi Billionaires, The Dark History of Germany's Wealthiest Dynasties. Uh, this is your first book, right, David? It is. It is. Yeah, it's my debut. Yeah, it, it's well, you would you like, like I, I told you on the phone uh, before we before we met uh, the titles. I don't think anyone else has that title. That's huh? going to stand out at the airport uh, bookstores. Nazi Thank billionaires, you. Yeah, uh, I hope so. uh, that, that that's the goal. Do you have any other books in uh, planned or, or you're going to take a little time off now? Yeah, I'm moving to Israel. I'm going to be working as a Middle East correspondent, um, and and you know, no time off. I'm, I'm uh, I love working, so uh, so you know, I'm going to you know move continents, move to Tel Aviv. You know, a lot going on there at the moment, um, and I'm going to be covering the Middle East for Bloomberg. No, no, actually, it's going to be for the. I'm going to be writing in Dutch for the very first time. It's oh. actually for the Dutch Financial Times. Yeah. Oh, for wait yeah. for the for the fi- financial the. Dutch edition of the, the Dutch, fin- exactly, exactly, yeah. Oh. yeah, the Dutch financial day, yeah. How about that? Wow, excellent, yeah. excellent, outstanding, David. Lots of luck to you and and all the power. And I hope this uh, book does. And I told this book has the impact that you uh, that uh, that you that you that you really hope it really were planning on every day when you uh, were drudging through these thousands, thousands, thousands of documents. <laughs> I, I really yeah. do because I think it's a yeah. part of history that. Uh, that um, you know, if we if we don't learn from it and we, and we don't 
uh, fess up to it, it's bound, it's bound, it will repeat itself in, in some shape yes. or form. Absolutely. And that's the danger. I, I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more, Charles. All right, David, thanks so much, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on The Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.